Hop in line as Cannondale brings the road show online with Cannondale Road Cycling Podcast. Please join us for the ride with your host, Jonathan Garrett, Cannondale Road Marketing Manager. Hello, Cannondale fans. I'm sitting here in Belgium with Ted King the day after the Tour of Flanders to record the Ted King Podcast. Hey, Ted, how you doing today? I am excellent. Um, sun is shining in Belgium, and that is always a good thing. Yeah. It was good. Uh, it's been good weather here in Belgium for sure. Has that changed the racing for you uh, in the classic season? Um, yeah, I mean, these races... As, you, as you've noticed, you know, from Wardegum to E3 to Gent-Webbegum, um, even the Pana and, and almost through Flanders, um, the weather's been incredibly good, and as a result, the attrition rate is relatively low, so you have a lot of riders there still in the peloton, and that, I think, is a big reason we're seeing so much havoc in the peloton, so many crashes. Um, I mean, it's one of a variety of reasons, but it's certainly one that's taxing and, and you know, taking its toll on the peloton, um, and... Yeah, it's been funny because we've been here for almost, uh, almost two and a half weeks now, and and it wasn't until Flanders that we finally had our first day of bad weather. Weather is uh, is is always going to play its role in Belgian racing, and two and a half weeks later, there it was for Flanders. Yeah, that's cool. But the flip side of that, it's got to be kind of nice to race in short sleeves and shorts and not be kitted up like you're going on a winter ski trip, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you you. You know, backtrack to last year, and it was the literally polar opposite. Um, at Webblegum, they had to shorten the stage. There was snow and, and wind, and I mean, obviously it's gonna be windy in Belgium. Fifty degree difference from last year to this year. So yes, it is. It's always nice to don the short sleeves and the short shorts. Cool. I wanted to maybe take a step back a little bit to where you got started in cycling in college. You went to college in Middlebury, Vermont. What did you study in college? I studied economics. I was an economics major with a minor in mathematics. Wow. Has, has studying economics helped you in your per- career as a professional, or is it something that's just not needed, given um, that it was economics? Oh, man. Uh, I have not used my economics degree very much in my, in my 10 years of professional racing. Um, maybe contrary to that, very soon after graduating, you know, a lot of my friends who, who went directly to Wall Street, um, to the financial world, the economy subsequently fell into the toilet. So, you know, I, I look at my career choice as uh, a very good one. So a little bit different, um, a little bit different question here from, from our research is, is Carrington a family name? <laughs> as Ed- in Edward Carrington King? Edward Carrington King. Yeah, let's, and I'll even preface that. Um, you will often see my name and results as Edward. That is my born legal name. My father is Edward. His father was Edward. But I am Edward Carrington King the first because, as people don't often know, in order to be a first, a senior, a junior, whatever it is, um, you need to have the same first, middle, and last name. I'm the first Edward Carrington King. And yes, Carrington is my mother's maiden name. Very cool. So is that a name you carry around with pride? Uh-huh. It has um, a nice sound of distinction. Um, um, I have not run into many Carringtons in my life. I think the only bit of trivia I can throw out there is that it wasn't until I was about 14 years old that I knew how to spell it. It's C-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. And I always thought there was just one R. (laughs) 
That's funny. Taking 14 years to learn how to spell your middle name. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe 12. Maybe 12. Yeah. So I know you're very close with your family. What's your What's your interaction with your family like during the season? Is it something that you do daily? Is it weekly? Is it more or less than that? What's your interaction like with your family? Yeah, family's, I mean, family's everything for me. Um, we have a, um, I mean, it's a very open and easy relationship. Um, so even though, you know, often on literally the other side of the world, whether it's Asia or Europe or, or you know, even across the country, raising California, Colorado, whatever it is, um, you know, it's easy to, to you know, drop them a quick email, drop them a quick text, just catch up and, and see what's going on in their life. Uh, yeah, my brother, he's out in California. My folks are back in New England. A lot of family is throughout New England. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a open, easy, casual relationship like that, where you could go 12 hours between speaking, or you could go 12 days, and you can just pick it up like it's one or the other. So how are your parents with the new technology, texting, Facebook, and Twitter, and, you know, are they all up to speed on all the technologies? Have you and your brother schooled them on those technologies then? We are we are working on it. I completely understand. I mean, even, you know, you see, you see infants, you see little kids using uh, uh, I everything these days with probably greater skill and and adeptness than I am. Um, I'm we continue to school our parents in how to use such technology. They are very good at texting, emailing and answering the telephone. Oh that's cool that you guys uh, interact with your parents that way. How does your family serve as a support role or a support system for you? Are they actively involved with your career? Are they a sounding board for your career path? They take uh, insights and feedback on on where you're going with your career. Yeah, uh, I mean they've been nothing but supportive. Um, my folks, that is my brother as well. My brother got me into the sport a dozen years ago, but yeah, he was he was a mentor and a role model for me. And then my parents have been they've been nothing but supportive. Um, they never you know they never questioned the career. It's it's one with obviously not a tremendous success rate to be perfectly honest. So yeah, I've, I've seen a great deal of success and that's been certainly rewarding and, and my parents have been behind me one way or the other so that's been tremendous and it's got to make it easier for you uh, having that support system knowing that yeah it could be 12 hours or 12 days that you talk to them but having that support system has got to make it easier to really focus on your job and on your task of uh, being a professional cyclist yeah? yeah 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 absolutely that's just knowing that that support is there is is night and day yeah Cool. So at 31 years old now, do you feel that your role has changed on the team, being a veteran, really, arguably a veteran status uh, on this team? <laughs> that is a tremendous question. I mean, our, this team is, is characteristically very young. Maybe last year, maybe two years ago. I do not remember which. Um, we had the youngest pro tour roster on average. Um, and I think we probably continue, if not you know, having that top honor or, or, or title, um, it would be first or second. And I mean, you know, you look at the likes of Peter, of, of um, you know, we just signed David Formolo, we signed uh, uh, David Valela. I mean, these guys are very young and they're tremendous cyclists. Um, I mean, their talent is just through the roof. Uh, Miranda Moser, another obviously prodigal cyclist. Um, you know, I came to this team, I came into cycling late. These guys were they're literally signing pro tour contracts at the age I was getting into the sport, which is humbling and puts it all into perspective very quickly. Earlier uh, in another conversation, that it's like how do you how do you deal with the fact that you're racing at the pro tour and you're working in 
some of the coolest, biggest races on the planet. It's yeah. something that I'm tremendously proud of, and, yeah. and you know, to be a domestique at this level is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So kind of a follow-up there to when you started in cycling uh, relative to some of your teammates, do you feel like had you started cycling 10, 11, 12 earlier in your life that your talent level, your skill set, your ability to train would be different than it is today? And there, consequently, you'd be a different rider? Yeah, I mean, cycling is a fascinating sport because there's a huge element of physiology and what you're born and capable with. Uh, I mean, it's nature versus nurture. And then also, because it's so concentrated, it's so, it's almost how much you can deal with. And I love, right. I'm very pleased with the upbringing that I had. Yeah. Um, yeah. By that, I mean, you know, the way I found cycling, the way I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tremendously proud of the fact that I have a college degree. Um, right. And that wouldn't have happened were it not for cycling. I wouldn't have my job if it weren't for the fact that I went to college, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it sort of all compounds on one another. Yeah. And it, yeah. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, so it does build on itself. Um, and, and still tremendous amount of pride for you, huh? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So have you taken on a mentor role at all within the team? Yeah. <laughs> um, so what about uh, your mentor role? Who have you sort of adopted under your wing? to personally kind of mentor anybody yeah i mean there's there's a lot of the anglos cam Worf and i have a have a very great relationship yom boban yeah you know phenomenal canadian cyclist young guy still with tremendous talent yeah he and i you know we we lived in the same town briefly um when we were in luca uh, uh george bennett you know i actually do live in the same town now in Girona. yeah yeah i mean it's it's fun hanging out with these guys. Uh, what I have to say is I speak a very functional level of Italian. I can understand dinner conversation yeah. for a good half hour. And then <laughs> once it delves into uh, beyond the half hour when their deep slang starts coming out, yeah. I'm like, eh, yeah. that's beyond my realm <laughs> understanding. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So I want you to think back to when you started your career, you first got into the sport. Um, I think it was with Priority Health. What's sort of your fondest memory in getting started as a professional cyclist? Is there one memory that stands out for you? I think it's more of a nebulous memory, which is to say, like, <laughs> the time in the van. You would often get in a van and drive from uh, a third of the country to another third of the country. We drove right. from Arkansas to New Mexico. Um, <laughs> you know, it's you're, you're fighting for floor space, you're fighting for arm space, you're fighting, fighting for, for window space, you're... It's hilarious. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, and perhaps, you know, distance and time makes the heart grow fonder. Um, I remember those, those <laughs> times really well. Yeah. Yeah. And those are part of what put me where I am now. So I'm going to change it. Yeah, of course. What do you wish that you knew then that you know now looking back between, between start and today? I don't know. Uh, one of the chief, pieces of information that I pass on to young riders who ask me, you know, what, what does it take to be pro? I say, wear your sunscreen. Wear your sunscreen. There it is. Um, there you know, I mean, you're going to spend a tremendous amount of time in the sun, and maybe I didn't realize that getting into the sport 11 years ago, I'd be wearing quite as much sunscreen as I am now, but, you know, friends, remember, this is the only skin you've got. You're going you're gonna to be burning through a lot of it. So is there ever a day you go on a ride with just jerseys and shorts that you don't apply sunscreen? It's certainly not often. Um, yes, I value my skin 
Yeah. Um, and it's funny yeah. to see some guys, some very old school cyclists, just go out and fry themselves yeah. for day after day, week after week, grand yeah. tour after grand tour. And I'm like, dude, friend, you look 75 years old and you are 38. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Looking old uh, from being a professional cyclist. <laughs> It's taxing, that's right. How about your move to the Velo? What was that move like? In other words, did you feel like that step up validated all your skills and hard work to that point? Knee-jerk answer, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, my, my, my entire cycling career has been very, I guess, organic and unfolding and, and to a great extent, sort of never expected. You know, I got into cycling late, as I mentioned many a time. When I was applying to professional cycling jobs as my senior year in high school, uh, college, I wasn't even necessarily expecting to get that first call of the race domestic race professionally domestically. So that was an honor. And then, I mean, I wasn't applying. I wasn't actively applying for jobs in Europe. I wasn't trying right. to get on Cervelo. I wasn't trying right. to get on any European team. At that point, status quo was very good. I had a great year in 2008 in, in, in America. And I expected that would be exactly where I would be in 2009. But then I got a flattering and remarkable phone call from the powers that be at Cervelo. They said, we're going to start this team. We'll yeah. have the likes of Tour de France winner at the time, Carlos Astra, Thor Hushov, um, Heinrich Kostler, Andreas Clear, a, a variety of phenomenal world-class cyclists. Do you want to come join the team? Wow. I said, whoa, uh, yeah, let's take it next level. How quickly did it take you to say yes at that, uh, at that offer? Um, I think... <laughs> Yeah, in my head, I made the decision immediately. Um, I ended up talking to a handful of mentors and friends and made the actual verbal agreement maybe 12 hours later. <laughs> 12 hours later. That's a pretty quick turnaround for that, especially in such an important step. Yeah. Um, you know, given that you've made those steps and, and come out of college as a cyclist, what sort of advice would you give someone following your path, right, from college all-American athlete and graduate to a cyclist that's looking to move to that next level? Second to wearing sunscreen, I think <laughs> to any collegiate cyclist, I say, honestly, stay in school. Um, I think collegiate cycling, what they're doing with USA Cycling and the National Collegiate Cycling Association is tremendous. I mean, you don't have the likes of junior cycling that you see in Belgium and France and Spain and Italy as you have in America. It's a different realm. It's a different, yeah. Um, yeah. it's a different league. So if you're going to find cycling, which you often do in America at a, at a little bit later date, whether it's high school or college, finish getting a college degree. The competition is there. The fun is absolutely there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, worst case scenario, you come away four or maybe five years later yeah. with that college degree, but still picking up trust enough that the competition really is yeah. there. So do you think the difference between you know, European nations developing talent at younger ages in America is, is really culturally based? The fact that we're in the U.S. much more driven, no pun intended, on an automobile <laughs> side of things, and yeah. Europe is much more commuting around bicycles, and so the culture is much different. Um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't hang it on anything more than that. Um, I mean, America is an enormous country. Geographically, um, we we rely on a vehicle. I think, yeah, more often than we really need right. to. But at the same time, you know, where I grew up, for example, you're not going to ride your bike twelve miles to go to the grocery store. Um, the right. way in Europe, you're often see grandma or grandpa or or little Billy, you know, riding a half kilometer to the store, and you have the baguette and, and you know the basket full of food. So, 
Absolutely, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. I think with enough, I say it time and again, with enough patience, I think bicycles will save the world um, from an environmental impact, from a health standpoint, from taking cars off the road. I think I think cycling has the potential to do that, and it's just whether they can head on. And that will, of course, cross over to the, the racing genre as well. Yeah, of course, of course. So have you ever been uh, out on a ride just so bonk that you actually did get passed by Grandma carrying the baguettes, just saying, bonjourno, as she uh, <laughs> cruised on by you, and you were struggling not, to get home? I have not seen La Nonna pass me, <laughs> thankfully. And if she did, admittedly, I would probably ask for a piece of that baguette in yeah. her back pocket. Of course, of course. How has your approach to training evolved over time since you've come into the sport and now on a world tour team? Um, yeah, I mean, over time you, you, you can read your, read your body. Um, you know, you know what works, you know, what, what intervals work well, what don't work well. Um, you get a more, I think at a younger age, people obsess about certain things. They obsess about, um, you know, hitting every single interval to the second. And if they miss it, you know, they're going to freak out and say that that whole six hour day is a failure. Do you think the counter to that is true? Also, they ignore certain things, like how their body feels or if they're overtraining, things along those lines? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say, right, they, they treat it very robotically, and they're like, I need to do this, this, and this, because my coach said so. And then, you know, it becomes much more subjective later. Yeah. You can say, yep, you know, I feel like great, so I'm going to do an extra interval, or I feel like junk, and I'm going to take that day off. Um, you still bang ideas back and forth between you and your coaches and, and, yeah. and you know, previous training um, that you've done in the past, but... Maybe it's maybe you'd say it's more uh, casual, subjective understanding approach, right? Than right, right. Who do you seek out advice from? Whether it's personal, professional, or training, performance-related questions. Do you have the Ted King posse that's always ready, willing, and able, just there to be at an email or a text or a phone call to say, "Hey, I need this or I need that." From a training standpoint, whether it's personal, professional, or you know, performance-related advice that you seek out do you have kind of this posse that i go to this guy for yeah professional real advice i go to this guy for training advice and i go to my family for personal advice i hear you um yes i i guess i've never put in those terms but i think i have a ted king posse yeah which which could be called a kingdom i guess <laughs> they all fit into the kingdom this is kind of hilarious and i mean yeah honestly they're they're built along the lines of some tremendous sponsors you know, from an equipment standpoint, I yeah, can go yeah. to you know, a long list of people who, who have been great to me this year and over the years. Um, and then, sure, from a professional standpoint, from a training standpoint, from a, a, a economic standpoint, lawyer-ish standpoint, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, there's, there's a Ted King Kingdom Posse. <laughs> it's awesome. You're allowed to use that, by the way. I'm going to trademark it and make some t-shirts. Yeah. It can appear from the outside that things are handed to you that is to say that opportunities and exposure to opportunities being a professional cyclist tend to be more available to you than the person at the corner. Um, with that said, what are some of the challenges you face and how do you overcome those challenges? Uh, you know, what, what's often missed is that cycling is a, it's not a nine to five job. It's a yeah. zero to 24 job. You yeah. work 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week. Yeah. You work 365 days a year. You, you pay attention to every facet of training, racing. So is that how you look at sleep then? It's just another task within your job because it's absolutely required and critical. Yeah, truly. I mean, then you sort of, you 
you can obsess over sleep. You see some guys, I have teammates who can sleep uh, very, very righteously for literally half a day. I don't yeah. have that skill. And then, on it, I mean, you can begin to obsess about that. You're like, that yeah. guy just slept for an extra four hours. What, yeah. what did he have that I don't? Um, right. So, yeah, I mean. Or did that guy get more recovery than you did, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And certainly a lot of people know that and, and would say, great, I want that professional job. Um, Ted has this great deal of success because he is able to pour every ounce of his energy into being a professional cyclist. And oh man, what was me? Yeah. I have to work a nine to five. Um, so I guess to boil that down, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices. Right. Um, and right. stay lovey. It's yeah. A, it's a pretty yeah. awesome job in the meantime. Yeah. Do you do anything specific to stay grounded? I mean, we see you on social media, really active, but always connecting to New Hampshire or New England. <laughs> Does that help you keep grounded? What are those things that help you stay grounded? Yeah, certainly New England is um, something I'm very proud of. I'm proud of my roots. You know, I love I love the area geographically. It's where I found cycling. It's yeah. where I went to school. It's where my friends are. It's where my family is. And, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned this ever, but I love maple syrup, which yeah. is characteristic of the region. I don't think anybody's ever seen that before yeah, or heard that from never. you. What do you think of the world's coming to Richmond, Virginia in 2015? I think that's rad. I'm excited. Um, I did a race in Richmond once. The they called U.S. Something something. It was this was great. Uh, made for a great story anyway. It was going to be aired on NBC. Right. Okay. Um, remember this story? I don't. Okay. I don't. Please tell aired, us. Aired on NBC, which yeah. does not happen. Like no, cycling. Channel Seven a... NBC, the real yeah. one. This yeah. is Channel Seven New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, and. We went to bed the night before. It was probably 60 degrees, and the forecast right. the next day was pretty bad, and people were like, not going to happen. Yeah. Not a chance. We woke yeah. up the next day in Virginia, mind you, in, I forget, maybe May? It was spring. To snow, and yeah. a lot of snow, wow. and four, five, six inches of snow. And you know what you can't do when it's snowing? <laughs> is fly a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. NBC was not very excited. Um, the race was postponed. Blah, blah, blah. Ended up being aired later, and Long story short, the race happened, and Richmond, Virginia is supposedly a wonderful venue. I'm very excited that Worlds are coming to America. Um, what do you expect the atmosphere to be like at Worlds in Virginia? First time in the U.S., and, you know. Yeah, one of my biggest disappointments of 2015? 2015. No, 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 of 13. Oh. Uh, was not making it to the Cyclocross World Championships. Ah, uh, yes, last year in Kentucky. Kentucky. That yeah. was a big bummer. Yeah. So, um, having missed that and having heard a lot of awesome, rowdy, fun, exciting stories, I think Richmond 2015 is going to be all the bigger. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be awesome. Yeah. It, is it on your program now, your long-term program, to perhaps ride for the U.S. team in Richmond? I would be thrilled to be on that team. Um, I raced a world championship once upon a time in 2010. Geelong, mm-hmm. Australia. Um, wow. Yeah, I'd be thrilled to go back. Yeah, uh, I mean it's yeah. it's awesome to see the strength from America these days. Right. Um, so yeah, we're gonna definitely field a really strong roster, and I'd be thrilled and honored to be part of it. Yeah, yeah. So do you think you'll go to the event either way? Given the atmosphere you heard about at Cyclocross Worlds, do you think this is an mm. event that you absolutely can't miss? At, whether you're on the bike or off the bike. That might be more of a stretch. I would step, definitely stay apprised of what's going on if I were uh, able to go, but not on the roster. 
Um, that might be a little bit too bittersweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you got to admit, it's an iconic moment for the U.S. and and cycling. Yeah. I mean, to make the leap across the pond. Very true. Yeah. I would. I would put it. I would pencil it into my calendar. Well, let's put it on the calendar. Let's put it on in the, pencil. No, we're gonna put it on the Ed King World Race World Championships. You've become synonymous with maple syrup, as you mentioned earlier. It wasn't the first time here. I'm sure everybody who will uh, dive into this podcast will know your affinity for maple syrup. Have you approached the maple syrup industry to be a spokesperson, the official athlete spokesperson? Um, cards close to my chest. <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe. That's good. Maybe. It's a, it's a truly fascinating industry. Um, and if I can impart any information... Onto our listeners right now, I would say read The Sugar Season by Douglas Why Not. It's a book I just finished up. Um, it's a fascinating look at the maple syrup industry. It's more than just boiling sap and saying, here's syrup. It's a truly fascinating industry on the whole. Um, and it's one that I would be pretty so psyched to be right. Right. speaking on their behalf. It's cool. Certainly tasty stuff to have on a variety of foods that make it that little bit sweet, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the long, last question of our long answer, essay type questions, if you will. These next questions are quick, immediate thought comes to your head, yes or no, quick answer. So you ready to get started on the one minute rundown? Yeah. I'm yeah, so no, first thing that comes to your mind, please. Okay, go. Let your tube Tubeless or tubes? Tubes. Pressure, above 100 or under 80? Above. Favorite social net network, give your handle. Instagram, Hot dog or hamburger? <laughs> Maybe. Hot dog. Miles or kilometers? Am. Celsius or Fahrenheit? Fahrenheit. Favorite off-the-bike activity? Cooking. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Girlfriend, yes or no? Girlfriends, yes, we can say girlfriends. Yes. Next question. <laughs> Americans, yes or no? <laughs> Next question. Next question. Shave or wax? Oh, ah, shave. I wax once. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Carbon fiber or aluminum? Carbon. Favorite race of the season? Huh. For Flanders or Vermont 50. <laughs> Vermont 50 coming up this fall. Madonna or Janet Jackson? Madonna. Favorite beer? Belgian. Teammates, tallest. Me. Friendliest. Best looking. Me. Friendliest. Uh, Bovin. Fastest. Uh, Peter. Most hungry. Peter. First concert. Uh, I'm terrible at music. Uh, it was something awesome. Give me like 12 more minutes while I get back to it. Now. All right, get back to us on that one. Your ideal post-ride indulgence. Here. The color, red or white. Boxers or briefs? Boxer briefs. Boxer briefs. Gel or no in your hair? Naturally gross. Naturally gross. East or West Coast? East Coast? Socks or Celts? Come on, socks, yo. Patriots or Bruins? That's tough. Bruins. Preferred sock height? Uh, Mid-calf, not short. The tougher slowback, Peter or Zdena Chara? Um, I think Zdena could take down Peter in a heartbeat. The dude's 6'10". <laughs> the dude is tall, especially on skates with a wicked long hockey stick. Wicked. Name three pasta varieties that are your favorite. Go. Spaghetti, 
Chef Boyardee, and whatever Chef Massimo actually just made because he is a fiend in the kitchen. All right, Ted, that wraps up our first broadcast of the Ted King podcast. Thanks very much for joining me here in Belgium, and good luck for the rest of the Spring Classics. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure.